Matthew 11, enough on that. Well, Matthew 11, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 11. The sermon from this point forward will go from being a, uh, a reprimand to more of being a, a sermon of comfort. And I know some of you in here today are really carrying some heavy things and you need to be comforted. And so let's look at a command of Christ involving uh, great comfort today. Look at verse 28 with me. We're going to read every other verse together. So the church will read 28 and 30 with me. I'll read verse 29 by myself. All right, let's begin in 28. Ready? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls together. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The command of Christ here can be found in the 29th verse, where it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Here is the command of Christ we're going to highlight this morning. Take my yoke and learn of me. Take my yoke and learn of me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we gather together as a church body, there's a lot of brokenness in this room. There are people who are hurting. There's great sorrow being masked behind some nice clothes, a smile. But Lord, deep down there's hurt and pain. And Lord, we need the rest for our weary souls. So Lord God, as we look at this command to take up your yoke and follow you, would you please, Lord God, encourage us and help us to fully grasp the truth with our ears and leave with a game plan to live it so, Lord, we can know what it means to have rest and peace. Lord God, help me as I preach to help hurting hearts. And Lord, I pray each hurting heart would leave here helped this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The psalmist said in chapter 84, verse 10 of the book of Psalms, he said, listen to this, he said, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. He said, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now that's quite a statement that the psalmist made there. He said, I would rather hold the door in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. So what does it mean to dwell in the tents of the wicked? Uh, that, me- uh, that means to get, uh, uh, rather, to live, uh, dwell in the tents of the wicked is the idea of living the party life. It's living, it's a life wrapped up in sinful uh, living in our day. Dwelling in the tents of the wicked is gaining popularity with godless and vile People. It's being aware of what's going on in the culture and knowing that we fit in with a world, excuse me, with a world that's broken. It's being wrapped up in substance abuse. It's being wrapped up in sinful living and uh, sinful, vile type talking. The psalmist said, he said, I'd rather serve as a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to be popular with the devil's crowd. Let me just put that in very basic terms. I'd rather be a door creator at White Oak Baptist Church in the house of God than to go down to the nightclub and be known as the most popular person there at the nightclub. I'd rather sweep a floor down at the church house uh, than I would uh, rather than to be the most famous person in the music industry. I would rather go down and clean up the house of God and help bring boys and girls to church in a church bus than I would to uh, climb the corporate ladder and be famous in the world. Uh, He says here, he said, I would rather spend a thousand days in the house of the Lord than to be popular in the world for even just one moment. But why would he make such a statement? The reality is this morning that all of us are wearing a yoke. All of us are either doing the devil's work through the power of our flesh, or we are doing the Lord's work by wearing His yoke. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we find an invitation. But for whom is this invitation? 
It is for those who are weary. It is for those who are broken. It is for those who need great rest. It is for those who have lost their moral compass. It is for those who are ready to trade in a life of sin and suffering for a life of obedience in Christ and the deep and great peace and serenity that He offers. I propose that if you will come to Christ and let Him teach you how to live life His way, listen, it's not that you might find rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. You will find rest for your tired and broken soul. Let's look at Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty and consider Christ as Lord. Christ is Lord. That's the series we're in right now. Christ is Lord. We're going to look at the, that command of Christ in Matthew eleven to take my yoke of Christ. Take my yoke. And learn of me. And we'll see how making Christ our Lord plays into this very thought this morning. Let's jump in this morning and look at point number one. Notice the comfort that Christ offers. On the back of your bulletin you'll find a fill in the blank outline. Let me encourage you to take notes as we go this morning. If I say something that helps you, let me encourage you to scribble it down. Look with me at Matthew chapter 11 and look with, back with me at verse number 28. The comfort that Christ Offers. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Read the rest of the verse with me, church, and I will give you rest. Boy, there's a lot of controversial statements that can be made this morning, but there is one statement that I think all of us can agree with today, and it's this statement right here. Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is hard on all of us. Life is difficult. Life can uh, beat you up in many ways. And life doesn't just beat you up. Oftentimes, life beats us down. But Christ, listen church, Christ is rest and peace. It's not that He gives rest and peace. Listen up now. He is rest and peace. And when we dwell in Christ, we dwell in rest and peace. He offers you His rest and peace for all of you here today that are tired and weary and broken. In fact, in this verse, He tells us that if, he will, if, if you will come to Him, He will, He will give rest. He doesn't say, I might give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll consider giving you rest. He doesn't say, if I'm in the right mood, I'll give you rest. He says, come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Letter A, notice, some are weary in spirit. Some are weary in spirit. Take your Bibles over to 1 Samuel chapter number 30. While you're turning over to 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, have you ever had a set of events take place in your life that just crushed your spirit? Sometimes these things happen over a prolonged period of time. But then sometimes a spirit crushing can happen in just a singular moment all at once. I think about Adam and Eve when they got word that Cain had killed Abel. I think about how that must have just crushed them. Now, I'm... I thank God for my two children. They're just just such a bright part of my life. And if you have kids, you know the joys of parenting. My son and daughter love to aggravate each other. They really do. My son enjoys aggravating my daughter, I think, a little bit more than my daughter enjoys aggravating my son. And uh, we have a routine at night where um, we, get, we gather together as a family and we pray together. And then I send them down to their, their rooms to brush their teeth and go to bed. And I'd say probably four or five nights a week, I've got to yell down there and tell Matthew to quit picking on his sister. He just loves to irritate her. And so I'll call Matthew up and I'll say, um, Matthew? And he'll look at me and I'll say, 
Are you irritating your sister? And I, he doesn't have to answer the question because he's got that look in his eye. How many parents know the look I'm talking about? How many of you have that look in your eye and you can still be that way even though you're an adult now? All right? Okay, you love to irritate each other, don't you? I'm getting ready to get together with uh, a bunch of my family around the holidays, and my brother James loves to irritate, and he still gets that look in his eye. And you know what? As much as my kids love to get on each other's nerves, they love each other. They deeply love each other. I can't imagine finding out that my son had, or daughter had killed the other one. can't imagine the sorrow that my mom my wife and I would feel knowing that our own offspring had murdered another one of our offspring. Imagine how weary Adam and Eve's soul must have been. Imagine how Job felt when word came to him that all ten of his children had died at once. I don't even think he heard about the loss of the rest of his stuff. Because he was reeling over the loss of his ten kids. You know, we're pretty hard on Mrs. Job for telling her husband to curse God and die. But, you know, I, I think as a mom, if you lose ten of your babies all in the same day, I think we can show Mrs. Job a little compassion. Can't we? On and on we could go with examples of those who've been dealt a crushing blow to their spirit. Some of you were born into an abusive home. You had to deal with abusive circumstances that stomped all over your spirit at a young and developmental age and you've never recovered. Others go through a traumatic experience in life And their spirit never really recovers. They are weary in their spirit. We come to 1 Samuel 30, we find the story of David and his mighty men. David and his mighty men in chapter 30 had been on the run for at least eight years. You're talking about having to sleep with one eye open every night. They were fugitives from King Saul who was trying to kill them. Imagine sleeping in a cave or under a tree or under a tent for eight years straight, worried that around the corner might be one of Saul, King Saul's men who will kill you. Finally, after eight years of it, they made their way across the enemy lines into Philistia. David made peace with one of the rulers in Philistia and who allowed him to build homes and set up a small temporary city where David and his 600 men would live. For the first time in eight years, they had a home uh, to call their own. They had a bed to sleep in. Their wives and children could be with them. David looks at his 600 men after the city had been established, and he said, men, it's time to go to war. As they're coming back from war, they look up and realize that an enemy had come through and had kidnapped their wives and children and had burnt their city to the ground. Look with me at verse number 4 of 1 Samuel 30. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Listen how extreme their weeping was. It says, until they had no more power to weep. Now as a man, I've been taught since I was a little guy that crying is a sign of weakness. That's kind of what we're taught in this culture. Real men don't cry. Uh, uh, real men hold back the tears. We don't show that emotion. And, and uh, I would agree with that statement to a point. I think that men who um, you know, hit their finger with a thumb and sit in the corner and cry, they're, they're, you know, they, need, they need to toughen up a little bit, right? Uh, but um, these men in 1 Samuel 30, listen now, these were not you know, soft, effeminate babies. 
These men were in the elite special forces of David. These were David's mighty men. And these men were so broken over their wives and children being kidnapped and their city being burned, the Bible says that they sobbed. They sat and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Maybe you can relate with David and his men. Maybe you have wept until you have no more tears to be shed and no more strength to cry. Jesus said to those weary in spirit, He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The comfort that Christ offers, letter B, some are weary in body. Some are weary in body. These men were so weary in their spirit that they spoke of stoning their leader David. They, they talked of taking him out to the edge of town and putting him down in a rock pit and throwing rocks at his head until he was dead. And David was so broken in all of this, but the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 30, it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And what did David do? He stood up and he said, we're going to go back and we're going to find those who took our wives and children captive and we're going to get them back. And so he said to his men, gird up your swords and let's go find our family. And sure enough, they did. David and his 600 men, but not all of the men were able to make the journey. Look at verse number 10. But David pursued he and 400 men. For 200 abode behind. Look at the rest of the verse. Which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. They were so faint they could not go over the brook, brook, brook Bezor. So David says to his 600 men, Get your swords on, strap up men, we're going to war. Let's go find our families. And off they go, marching in the direction of where the enemy had taken their families. And they get to a brook or a body of water that they needed to cross. And it would have required a lot of effort and energy to get across this river. 200 men were so weary in their body, they looked at David and said, We physically cannot do it. We physically cannot do it. And David said, okay, you 200 stay here and watch our stuff. And the 400 of us will cross over and we'll go get it. And the rest of the story is that, sure enough, they found the enemy, they destroyed the enemy, they recovered uh, their families, they also uh, walked away with a large spoil of, of riches, and they came back and rebuilt their city. The story has a positive ending, but, but don't miss what I'm getting at here. These 200 men were so weary in body, they could not continue. Now, why were they weary in body? This is so important. They were weary in body because they were weary in spirit. Do you know that your spirit and your body are deeply interconnected? When your spirit drags, your body health is going to suffer. Many, many, many people deal with deep sicknesses because their spirit has been broken for a long time. Someone might say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that you're qualified to make such a statement. Well, then let's let the Bible make the statement for us. Listen to Proverbs 17:22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Let's take that verse apart a little bit here. Mary Hart doeth good like a medicine. I heard of a man who had cancer, and the doctors had not given him. This was back in the 80s, 90s. Man did not have a lot of, uh, uh, did not have a high percentage chance of beating the cancer. He read this verse in the Bible, and he said, "Well, I, I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to buy every single VCR tape of the Three Stooges that I can get my hands on." And so, sure enough, he bought. How many of you remember Larry Curley and Mo? Who was the other character? Was that Gimp? Chimp, that's it. And so I, I used to watch this growing up, the old black and white uh, 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 humor there. And so he sat there every day and he watched 
reruns of the Three Stooges, and he laughed, and he laughed, and he laughed. Now, this is an anecdotal story. But you know what that man did? He beat cancer. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. You show me someone who's got a strong spirit, I'll show you somebody that can endure a lot in their body. But the second half of that verse says, But a broken spirit drieth the bones. Now, I, I'm not a uh, biologist. In fact, I struggled in school in biology. But I know this much from studying this verse and, and looking into this. The bone marrow comes from inside your bones, and that's what produces our blood cells. So what dries up when our bones dry up? Well, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Don't you think maybe you need good blood? You see how your spirit is tied into your physical health? Many people are so despondent and discouraged over a hardship that's taken place in their life, their physical health is struggling and their body is weary. Then there are those who have a weary body, not because their spirit hurts, but because they are moving through life at an unhealthy pace. You can't preach a sermon about rest and not talk about people who are overworked. Hey, all you uh, New Englanders. We move too fast through life. Too crazy. How many of you here, if uh, sugar and caffeine were taken out of your day-to-day routine, your body would have a meltdown? Me too. That could be a sign we're just too busy. I I like Psalm 23. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. You ever hit the wall with your health and, you know what, I wasn't laying down in green pastures before, but now I don't have a choice because my health has just dropped. It's failed. When we live life with no margin, we develop poor uh, poor sleep habits. We have poor dietary habits. Our body grows weary. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some are weary in spirit, some are weary in body. Letter C, some are weary in mind. Take your Bibles with me over to Proverbs chapter, or rather Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Some are weary in mind. We're laying out the problem here in point one, and points two and three will lay out the solution. Some of you are going, man, Pastor Lejeune, you are describing me to the T. My spirit is not what it ought to be. My body is, is, is falling apart. Some of you here, every morning when you wake up, you get to greet your three best friends. It's not Larry, Curly, and Mo. It's snap, crackle, and pop. You roll out of bed every morning and everything's right, and you roll out of bed and here we go again, okay? And uh, you have that chronic knee pain or that chronic back pain, or you wake up and you got to battle those migraines, or your stomach is a mess. You can't be very far from a restroom, and and that body is falling apart. That spirit is struggling. And for some of us, though, the problem isn't our body or our spirit. The problem is more our mind. Look at verse number one of Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are uh, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, what did He do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Read verse 3 with me. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Faint in your minds. Verse 1 and 2 talk about running a race. 
And uh, the, the mentality that the, the disciple of Christ is to have is one of being a runner. Do we have anybody in the room here that at any point in your life you either took up running as a sport or as a hobby? Would you raise your hand? All right, hold your hands up if you've taken up running as a sport or as a hobby. All right, now I know who all the weirdos in the church are. Amen? I'm just teasing you. I've done some running in my life too, so I'm right there with you. I, um, we had, uh, let's see, we had Lucia in the 8.30 service, 8.15 service. She participated in a 150-mile run. Is that even possible? Right? Uh, wow! 150 miles. I, I, my legs hurt to drive 150 miles. I get out of the car and I can barely walk to driving 150 miles. Much less running that. Wow! But you know what runners have to do? They have to have a mentality that um, the body is capable of far more than the mind thinks it is. I, uh, my experience with running is going down to a high school football field where they have one of those tracks and running laps around the football field. And by about the third or fourth lap, I feel like I'm about to fall over dead, okay? And um, uh, even at my best, I've maybe been able to do uh, up to eight laps, which is about two miles. But here's what I find. You come around that curve. You come around that turn. Are you picturing this with me? You come around that turn and uh, you, you got a lap and a half to go, or rather a lap and a quarter to go. You can see the finish line in place and you know this is lap seven and I've got one more to go and the side is hurting and the chest is in and out inhaling and your mind says, I can't do this. But you press through and you push and you cross that seventh one and you say, just a little bit further around the curve there, you make it around the curve, down the straightaway. Okay, one more curve to go. One more straightaway. I'm going to get this. And what you learn is that the body is capable of far more than the mind thinks it is. You say, what am I to do when I get weary in body? Well, the first thing you do is you see what sins are in your life and you need to set aside the sin that's besetting you. And then once you've dealt with all of the sins in your life, then you look at the weights and say, you know what, this weight is keeping me from running my race as I ought to. I'm going to set these things aside, not because they're wrong, but because they're uh, impeding my progress for the Lord. You say, well, what do I do if I'm weary in mind after I've done all that? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Here's what I picture. I picture Jesus standing at the finish line. And He's got a smile on His face. And He's got His nail print hands like this. And He says, Come on, boy! Come on, girl! You can do it! Pick it up! Run that race! Overcome! Punch forward! And I look up and I see those prints in His hands and I say, I'm going to run to the author and finisher of my faith because He will give me rest. Oh, we're capable of far more than we think we are. But we grow weary in mind. Some are weary in spirit. Some are weary in body. Some are weary in mind. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Finish the verse with me, church. And I will give you, I will give you rest. The comfort that Christ offers. Number two, the coming that Christ requires. The coming that Christ requires. Look at verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Read the next three words of 29 with me. Here we go. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now notice, we're supposed to come unto... Jesus said, come unto me. And then He said, take my yoke. Let me, let's put that picture up there on the screen if we can do that there. Alright. There's a picture of uh, two animals... I think those are ox. Uh, they're in a yoke. And uh, that yoke helps them to look straight on. And it helps them to work in tandem. 
Now, back in my bib overall wearing southern boy living days, I lived in Mississippi and Alabama until I was 16. And um, uh, I had a, uh, a man in the church there in Alabama who said, I am going up to the middle of nowhere, Podunk, Tennessee. You say, where's Podunk? I don't know and neither do you. Podunk, Tennessee. And um, he wanted to take me to a agricultural fair and tractor pool. Anybody here ever been to a tractor pool? All right, some more hillbillies in the room. I'm not the only one, all right? Okay, we got the runners. We're a diverse church. We have runners in the room. We've got hillbillies in the room. Any coffee addicts in the room? Anybody sitting next to a coffee addict who's not willing to admit it? Uh Uh-huh, okay, yep. All right, we're a diverse church. But I went to this uh, agricultural fair and uh, tractor pull, and here's what I watched. It wasn't just a tractor pull. They had oxen there, and they would hook these weights up to this ox, and the weight would start in the back and would rise up a plane and get closer to that that animal, and uh, they would see how far that ox could pull that weight. And then, uh, so they would give out a prize for the, the, the one ox that could do it the best. Then they would take two oxen and they would put them in a yoke and they would have those oxen pull a weight. And what I learned from watching that there is that two oxen working together can pull far more than those oxen can individually when you compound the weights. They work together. And Christ wants us to get in the yoke with Him and do the work With Him. Now, uh, here's the thing about the Christian life. Here's the thing about finding rest for your weary spirit and body and mind. You say, Pastor Lejeune, boy, you described me perfectly earlier. Here's the thing. You won't find rest from just reading your Bible and praying. Because wearing a yoke, a yoke is an instrument of work. You see what those oxen are doing right there? They're working. You don't put on a a, a yoke and say, well, I read my Bible and prayed today. My life is grand. No, no, no. You put on a yoke to go to work. Look with me back at Matthew 11, 28. Leave the picture up there for me until I ask you to take it off. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Notice that word labor. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You cannot rest into rest. You work to get to rest. Man, uh, how many of you here have ever had a season and time in your life where maybe you were a little bit lazy and uh, you slept in later than you probably should have and um, you woke up at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and then by 2 o'clock you were tired and you laid down and you tossed and turned and you couldn't get any uh, real good sleep and then you got up and uh, didn't do a whole lot and then, you know, 8, 9 o'clock at night you're tired and, and so you toss and turn until about 2 a.m. And, and then finally you fall asleep and you get back up at 11 o'clock the next morning. You're, you're trying to rest into rest. You know what I like? I like when I work real hard in the day and I get ready for bed and I climb into bed and about 10 seconds after my head hits the pillow, boom. I wake up the next morning and Angela says, did you hear what I told you last night? And I say, you were talking last night? You labor... To rest. But the question isn't, are you laboring? The question is, who are you laboring for? Because you cannot have Christ's rest unless you are doing Christ's work. He did not say, come. He said, come unto me. He did not say, take up a yoke. He said, take up my yoke. So what is The yoke of Christ. Let's put this on the screen. Letter A, notice, a yoke of teachability. A yoke of teachability. Look back with me at verse number 29 of Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. What does it mean to learn from someone? What does it mean to learn from someone? It means that you give them your heart on such a level where they can teach you how to do something that you didn't already know how to do or behave in a way that you didn't already know how to behave. 
I remember when I first got married, I was a very arrogant husband. And, and when I say that, I don't mean I was arrogant toward Angela. I mean I was arrogant about being a husband. Here's what I thought. I thought, uh, I was told by our pastor, before I marry you, you need to go through premarital counseling. And I literally went, I don't need premarital counseling. I've watched my parents be married for, you know, 20, what was that, 23, when I get married? 23 years. I know how to do this. So we went through some rushed premarital counseling, and then about six months into marriage, I said, I need counseling! <laughs> I was arrogant. I remember I got to Granite Baptist Church. I'd been married two years, and Pastor King looked at me and he said, You're going to teach the young married couples class. And I said, Me? I said, everyone in that class is in their 30s and has been married over 10 years. I've been married two years, and I fight with my wife all the time. I didn't tell him that part, but I thought it. Amen? And I said, you want me to teach that class? He said, yeah, I do. He said, I want you to teach that class. That was one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know what I had to do? I had to read books about how to be married. I had to call people on the phone who had successful marriage and say, tell me about marriage. He who does the teaching does the learning. And boy, I listen, I had to be teachable. Before I could teach it, I had to learn it. And before I could learn it, I had to humble down my heart from a, I don't need that attitude to a, you know what, I do need that. Will you help me? Will you teach me? Each year I try to read one book on marriage and one book on parenting because I still want to be teachable. Now, I ask you this question this morning. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Because if you're arrogant, you're not teachable. Christ wants to be your teacher. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. And uh, look down with me at verse 15. We're already in Matthew 11. Look at, verse, look at verse 15. Jesus wants to be your teacher, but He needs you to give Him three things. He needs you to give Him your eyes, your ears. Now I'm speaking spiritually. Your eyes, your ears, and your heart. You have to give Him those three things. Look at verse 15 of Matthew 11. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Turn over to chapter 13, verse 9. Jesus says, hey, I'm teaching. It's not a matter of am I giving you truth. It's a matter of are you listening to the truth. Sometimes I, I feel like if I could just be a better public speaker... If I could just convey truth a little bit better, there's people out in that audience I'd be able to reach. And that's true. If I were a better public speaker, there are people I'd be able to reach. But here's the reality I've had to come to. No matter how good of a public speaker I become, there are some people that will never be reached. You say, well, Pastor, how could you make such a statement? Because there were plenty of people who Jesus taught, and what He said went in one ear and out the other, and it did not change their lives, not one bit. Now, can I just say this? If Jesus couldn't reach everybody, Pastor Lejeune surely didn't be able to reach everybody. And you know what the problem was with Jesus? The problem wasn't His method. The problem wasn't what He said. The problem was the heart of the people He was speaking to. And if you come in this building and you sit here and you listen to me preach this book right here and you leave unchanged, it might be my fault, but it's probably yours. Because you're not coming with a teachable spirit. You have ears, but you're not actually hearing anything. Look at chapter 13 and look at verse 9. Again, Jesus is teaching here. He says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Being teachable begins with your ears. You must come to Jesus with your ears wide open and your mouth shut. You must come ready to listen with your heart. And you must allow what He tells you to go into your brain and then work its way all the way down into your soul. What happens when you put on the yoke of teachability? Look down at verse 43. Matthew 13, 43. 
Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Oh, when we take what we hear and we put it into action, we shine forth with righteousness. Turn over to James chapter 1 in your Bible, if you would. James chapter 1. There is a mistake that many churchgoers make. They believe that because they come to church with their ears open and they hear the word, that makes them a righteous person. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, warns us against this false belief. Look at chapter 1, look at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Read the rest of that verse with me. Deceiving your own selves. Oh, I come to church and I hear the preaching and it makes me feel warm on the inside. But you know what? Pretty much my life hasn't changed. Uh, and I'm the same person I was a, a month ago, a week ago, and uh, uh, you know, six months ago. And, uh, but you know what? That preaching out at the church house sure is good. And I'm a faithful church member, so that makes me a good person. And James said, you're deceiving yourself. When you go and you hear the Word and it has no effect in the way you live your life, you're deceiving yourself. Look at 23. For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. I used this analogy a handful of weeks ago in the service, but if you were told that you had dirt on your face and uh, broccoli between your teeth, and you went and looked in the mirror, and you saw it and said, yep, I see the dirt, and yep, there's the piece of broccoli, and you walked out and didn't do anything about it, well, what good was the mirror? And each week you come to church, and Pastor Lejeune holds up the mirror of the Word of God and says, here's what you look like. And a lot of us go, yep. That's what I look like. The series we're in right now is Christ as Lord. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Are you teachable? So many of us know the truth, but we don't live the truth. We're deceiving ourselves. If you've never heard this before, you may want to write this down. This is a really good quote I heard somewhere that I believe fits the idea of teachability. Someone said, Teach, tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I'll remember. But involve me and I'll understand. The Lord wants you to not only know about His work, He wants you involved in His work. He wants you in the yoke. He wants to get you into the yoke and He wants you to learn how it is that you are to labor and to bear your burden. When we do it His way, we labor into His rest, a yoke of teachability, letter B, a yoke of tenderness. A yoke of tenderness. Go back to Matthew 11 with me and look at verse number 29. This is my favorite part of these three verses. Matthew 11:29. The Bible says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Then Jesus says this, For I am meek and lowly in heart. I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus doesn't just want to dictate uh, uh, what you do in the yoke. He wants to dictate your spirit while you wear the yoke. He says, when it comes to your spirit, be like me. He says, I am meek and I am lowly in heart. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week. Can you say this and it be intellectually honest? Here's the statement. I am a humble person. Is that a statement somebody can make and be intellectually honest? Jesus made it, did He not? He said, I am lowly in heart. You know what He's saying here? I'm a humble person. I'm a humble person. I do think that you can know whether or not you're humble. I do believe that. I think you have to be careful about announcing that you're humble. Right? Um, uh, the old joke is, uh, someone wrote a book, uh, The Seven Most Humble People in the World and how I trained the other six. (laughs) 
But Jesus said here, he said, I'm humble, and I want you to be meek and humble. Now, as I dug into that this week in Bible study, here's what I realized. Could we go back and put that picture of those, uh, those um, animals on the screen? Is that possible? Could we get those up there? These animals are powerful. Look at the muscle mass on those ox, oxen. But you know what that is right there? That's power under control. Hey, when you don't get your way and you're screaming and yelling and hollering at people, that's power out of control. But when you get in the oxen of the Lord and you take the strength that He's given you and you do His work, that's power under control. That's meekness. You know what you don't see with these oxen? You don't see them gallivanting around at some show winning some prize for being a stallion. There's no ribbons being, you know, given out for these animals. You know where they're at? They're down in the dirt. Doing the work of a lowly servant. Jesus said, put my yoke on and be meek and be lowly. Jesus said, do it like me. Turn over to John 13. John 13. Leave that image up there for me. John 13. Look at verse 4. Jesus is uh, here in this passage. He's in the upper room. He's getting ready to distribute the inaugural Lord's Supper elements. But as the men make their way in off the dusty streets of Jerusalem, their feet need to be washed and there's no servant there to do it. So Jesus decides he's going to get down in the dirt and he's going to do it. Look at verse 4. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus said, Take my yoke and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. How lowly was Jesus? Lowly enough to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. The man who created them got down and washed their feet. Turn over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles. Here in Mark 5, we find Jesus in the city of Capernaum. He's just been told that one of the religious um, ruler's daughter is dying and she needs help. And so Jesus is making his way across the city over to this ruler's house where he will eventually raise her from the dead. She dies before he gets there. But in route, there's a woman who sees Jesus and this woman is weary in body. You see, she had an issue of blood. She was bleeding uh, profusely for 12 years. There was not a doctor who could help her. Because of her bleeding, she had been labeled unclean and pushed aside by society, which caused her not only to be weary in body, but weary in spirit. Uh, but this woman had not given up hope. She had not lost resolve. She had heard that there was a man named Jesus who maybe could help her. Uh, look with me at verse number 27. When she heard of Jesus, uh, uh, came in uh, the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole and straightway. The fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in him that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, you see the broken and weary spirit, knowing what was done in her, she came and fell down before him. She told him all the truth. And he said unto her daughter, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole in thy plague. The creator of the universe robed himself in flesh. He came down, he walked amongst us. 
Here he is walking to uh, uh, this religious ruler, important person's house. And, and here comes this woman who's an outcast by society. And she thinks, if I can just but touch his garment, I'll be made whole. So she pushes through the crowd. She lunges forward and touches just the hem of his, of his robe there. And, and, and immediately Jesus jars to a stop. The crowds are thronging him and pressing him. And, and, and he says, who touched me? This woman is down on her knees, afraid and fearful, and she admits to it. And what does Jesus do? Watch this now. The Creator of the universe, He gets down on His knees. The One who is all-powerful gets down in the dirt of that street with that woman. And He looks her in the eye and He says, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Jesus said, you want rest? Come unto me. Take my yoke. Do my work. Be meek. Get down in the dirt and love people. Be lowly in heart. A heart of tenderness. Tonight's sermon, we're going to talk about hard-heartedness. So many Christians have developed a hard heart. They can drive right past someone who's suffering and feel nothing. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, and I'm going to be your Lord, you need to put on the yoke of tenderness. Number one, the comfort that Christ offers. Number two, the coming that Christ requires. Number three, the contrast That Christ highlights. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 11 verse 30. Jesus says this. He says, For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Let's look at A being here and we'll be done. Letter A, notice Satan's yoke. Satan's yoke. Throughout the Bible, the word yoke is used to describe three things. You see a a, a blank there on your outline. It's used to describe three things. Here they are. Sin, suffering, and slavery. won't be on the screen. Sin, suffering, and slavery. Leviticus 26.13, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, and ye shall not be their bondmen, and I have broken the bands of your yoke, and made you go upright. There's a hard truth that few of us want to accept. We are all wearing a yoke. Hey church, we're all wearing a yoke, whether we think we are or not. We're all wearing a yoke. You're either wearing Satan's yoke, or you're wearing Christ's yoke. You're either doing the devil's work, or you're doing Christ's work. What happens when you wear Satan's yoke? You have to live under the bondage of sin. And suffering. And you're enslaved to the devil. Lamentations 1 Verse 14 says, The yoke of my transgressions is bound by His hand. They are wreathed and come up upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall. There's that suffering and that slavery. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands from whom I'm not able to rise up. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be doing the devil's work. Because when I do the devil's work, the devil does not offer me any rest. Matthew 11.30 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I give you the opposite of that verse? Satan's yoke is hard and his burden is heavy. Satan's yoke is hard and his burden is heavy. When we're wrapped up in sin and we don't want to let it go, we're carrying a yoke that is made of iron. It's it's heavy. Uh, The burden is heavy. And the work of the devil is hard. As contrasted with letter B, the Savior's yoke. The Savior's yoke. Look with me at verse 28. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'm going to ask for some uh, participation from you all this morning. Okay, so be ready. Have the passage there, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Read the rest of read the rest of that verse with me, and I will give you rest. Twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Read the rest of it with me, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is, and my burden is, rest, rest, easy, light. Man, sign me up for that. What happens when you wear the Savior's yoke? Here's the blank. You agree to a life of submissiveness and serenity. Submissiveness and serenity. You know what that means? That means I'm going to say to the Lord, I'll do it your way instead of my way. I'll do it your way instead of my way. And God says, okay, if you'll do it my way, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill your heart with peace and rest. Boy, I'll take that exchange. Turn over to Hebrews 4. We're going to finish the sermon in Hebrews chapter 4. You can let go of Matthew 11. Hebrews chapter 4. Look with me at verse number 1. You see, and I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to walk carefully around this topic. But many people, many Christians have fallen in the trap of what I'll call Freudism. Sigmund Freud. And we let the medical system tell us what to believe about mental health. And we've almost discredited what the Bible has to say on the topic. And I want to say this morning that the Bible is light and truth. We need to look there instead of the world. If Christ is life and peace, and He promises to give us life and peace, if we'll go to Him, then I think what we need to stop doing is figuring out the next pill to pop And what we need to figure out is how to get in Christ so we can realize that life and peace and that rest. Look at verse number 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. You know what he's saying? Hey, you need to be deeply afraid, deeply afraid of missing out on the rest that Christ offers. Because there is rest available and many people miss that rest. Look at verse 3. For we which have believed, if you mark your Bible, circle the word believed. For we which have believed do enter into rest, circle the word rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So we see a connection between believing in Christ, coming to Christ, believing in Christ, and rest. Underline verse 9 in your Bibles. Look at verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. If you're a child of God, you have a rest that is available uh, exclusively for you. Now, you're not guaranteed to have it, but it's available to you if you'll do it God's way. Look at verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Speaking of that Sabbath day. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So circle the word unbelief. And circle the word fall. When we have a lack of faith in Christ... We're not wearing the yoke of Christ. We're not doing the work of Christ. We uh, in, end up in a place of falling into unrest. When we're walking in the work of Christ and we're living in line with Christ, we find rest. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And the joints and marrow and is the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's what I want to drive home and we'll be done. When we trust the heart of God and the hand of God, we find that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. We labor for the Lord and then we enter into His rest. Hey, are you, are you weary from bearing Satan's yoke? Are you ready to try on a new yoke? Are you ready to give up sin and suffering and be enslaved to the devil in exchange for a submissive heart and the peace and rest that only Christ can offer? Then come to Christ and put on His yoke of teachability.
and on the yoke of a meek and lowly heart. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Many of us are weary. Christ offers a rest. We need to get that rest. How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor Lazarne, God has touched my heart on some things. I am indeed weary from wearing the wrong yoke. Pastor, pray for me that I'll put on Christ's yoke and that I'll find the very rest that He's offering. Pastor, I'm hurting. I'm weary. I'm tired. Pray that God would give me the courage to do that. If that's you, would you raise your hand? There are so many hands raised right now. Oh, I pray that God will help you. That God will give you His rest. That you'll be able to, like David, say, while he was being chased out of Jerusalem, he said, I laid me down and slept for the Lord sustained me. May God give rest to your weary body and soul your mind and your spirit.